You're listening to the Kiwi Tripsters Travel Podcast. Brought to you by Abercrombie and Kent, pioneering experiential luxury travel since 1962. Buckle up and take off every fortnight to spectacular destinations as we share the inside word on all things travel. Whether you're into luxury travel or tripping on a budget, whether it's river cruising or foodie trips, we've got you covered with top tips and tricks so you can have an awesome travel experience. Tune in with Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. And be sure to like and share this episode so everyone can get a taste of all things travel and now on to the show with your host from Christchurch New Zealand Mike Yardley and Chris Lynch Hi there, thanks so much for joining us for another edition of Kiwi Tripsters Hot Off The Press. Great to be back with you and we're going to start this episode with a quick hop over to Australia's Gold Coast which has been the subject of a recent summer jaunt for Chris Lynch. Now Chris, obviously much of the Australian summer has been blighted by bushfires. Um, what, about, what about the GC? How affected or otherwise was it when you were there in January? Not at all. I got lucky. In fact, we're not really lucky because the Gold Coast was largely unaffected by um, the wildfires. The only thing that really reminded you that there were horrific wildfires still probably happening in Australia was a lot of the retail stores were saying, if you went there, would you mind rounding up to the nearest dollar to support um uh, you know, the wildfires and the foundations and various people that are looking after the animals, which I thought was a really lovely thing to do. Um, so the, absolutely, um, there was just nothing that suggested that Australia was on fire. Yeah. Mm. Unlike a lot of the uh, catastrophic world maps that were shown of Australia where the entire, you know, coastline around the, the perimeter of the country was made mm. out to look like the entire thing was an inferno, which has, has been so unfair on, us, on Australia. And obviously for the next few months, this global marketing campaign is trying to correct the record on that. Yeah, it's a hard place to be, isn't it? Because you want to be able to put out the correct information to say that there, are, there, look, there were and still are many parts of Australia on fire, yeah. but... Um, I guess if you're in a metropolitan city, with the exception of the the smoke, mm. you will be okay. Yeah. You will be okay. And I think yeah. that's really important to say. And look, many economies in Australia do rely on the tourism dollar. Absolutely. And the GC is a classic example of that. Obviously, when people think of the Gold Coast, they will think theme parks. It's the closest thing to Disneyland in mm. our part of the world, uh, with the likes of SeaWorld and DreamWorld and Movie world. Are you a thrill seeker when it comes to those high octane rides? Absolutely. I really? love them. This is my third trip to the Gold Coast yeah. and the third time I've been on most of the decent theme parks. I can't help myself. I love it. I love the fact of the vibe. The minute you walk into the likes of Dream World or, or Movie World, everyone is happy. Mm-hmm. And I like that. Even if I'm not particularly into going on a particular ride that day, it's just a good vibe. I mean, how can you not feel happy when everybody else walking around all ages is happy? Well, this is true. It's a very infectious thing. Uh, Were there any particular standout rides, Chris? Yes, there was. Now, you might be surprised. Although I like the thrill rides, the normal sort of roller coasters, but there was one that my friend and I did that was, it's fairly new, and it is just amazing. It is stunning. It's called the Sky Voyager, and it features modern state-of-the-art technology combining motion programmed seating and special effects. Uh, so, and, and you're sitting in these in this seat as if you were like in a plane, and outside in a plane that is. Yeah. And you go over, you fly over Australia's most spectacular landscapes. And for me, 
that was better than the roller coasters. And even for my friend, we, were, we thought to ourselves, we want to do that again because it takes you on a beautiful journey of discovery across some of the most amazing landscapes of Australia. Mm-hmm. And what they do is, it's not just the wind in your face. You can, they, they have different mists and different smells and senses of what hopefully parts of Australia smells like. Yeah. And it was just amazing. Everybody came out of that ride going, wow, that was fantastic. And the good thing was there weren't many queues because it's hard to try and market something of this from the outside. Yeah. So that's called Sky Voyager? Yeah, Sky Voyager at Dreamworld. At Dreamworld, okay. It's a fairly new addition to, I think it's Australia's biggest theme park, by the way. Yes, it is. Uh, highly recommended. It's fact, it's the minute you walk through the main gates of Dreamworld, it's to your left, you can't miss it, and it is, I would definitely recommend it. It okay. is better in some respects in mm. terms of that thrill ride aspect yeah. than your everyday common thrill ride. Indeed. Um, at Movie World, the last time I went to Movie World, they still had... Police Academy as one of their major stage shows. You know how yeah. they do those yep. sort of stage shows. And I was called in to be a cameo. Oh, no. So I was a cameo character in Police Academy 5, I think it was, which was very exhilarating. And they have, you know, the big explosives and the, the chases yeah, and so forth. That's great for the kids. They've, yeah. still, got that. They've still got the stunts, yep. uh, that stunt performance. I'm not sure if it's still, still called Police Academy. I didn't do that this time because I felt like I'd seen it enough. Yep. Uh, but it's great for the kids. It goes yeah. through, it sort of pretends to produce a movie action scene. They've got the green screen effects as you yes. say they've got audience participation it's a real look it's, it's probably aimed more at kids yes that's uh, true. maybe that's just me because i work in broadcasting you sort of think okay i know how that works but yeah you know once again everybody's going to enjoy it if they do it for the first time what was the standout for you at movie world did you have one? Oh, that's a very good question i would say the green lantern roller coaster why because it's just thrilling and insane. Yeah. And it helps that um, the queues moved along quite nicely as well. Sure. In fact, yeah. every roller coaster, every thrill ride at Movie World, uh, you're going to love. Mm-hmm. And you can't really compare it to Disneyland because Disneyland doesn't really do roller coasters as such. That's they true. do fabulous rides that yeah. are still very, very good. Yeah. But Movie World is the place to be in Australia, I think, if you're after. Thrill, Roy, thrill rides the and, really and Dream World to be fair. ones, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both Movie World, Dream World. Yeah, Highly recommend. Fantastic. And um, aside from the theme parks, uh, what about Sky Deck? If, uh, if you want more eagle-eyed views after you've done Sky Voyager at Dream World, did you head up to Sky yeah, Deck? absolutely. This is right downtown in on the Gold Coast. Um, prices aren't that pricey really to go up there. I would recommend going up to the Sky Deck uh, just as the sun's coming down. So you get the best of both worlds. You can get the lovely sunset, but you can also stay up there, grab a beer and a wine at the beautifully laid out bar, by the way, and Mm -hmm. restaurant, and then capture the magic, you know, 360 degree view of all of Gold Coast, particularly looking down on surface paradise. It is stunning. It is such a vertical city, isn't it? When you look at how many of those massively tall apartment blocks um, are strung along the coast, and they just keep going up. Mm. Um, it is an incredible vista. Yeah, I would, look, 10 out of 10 for Skypoint Observation Deck. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that you can have a wee drink and you can take it out of the so-called bar and restaurant. You, put, you would never get away with doing that in New Zealand, you know, because our rules are so blim and strict. But I like the yes. fact you can take your beer. And what was interesting this time around, Mike, with the, with the modern technology of smartphones, mm-hmm. there were so many people putting their smartphones on time-lapse um, their time-lapse apps to try and capture the sunset in that, you know, that fast oh, okay. manner. Yes. Yeah. I didn't have the patience for that. But 
Did my you friend, get your gimbal a workout there? No, I didn't actually. Okay. Gimbal I, was left at home, was he? Gimbal was left in the hotel room. Uh-huh. This is a thing that makes images very still, by the way, in case you're wondering what a gimbal is. A gimbal is Chris Lynch's best friend. It is. Yes. But 10 out of 10 for Skypoint Observation Deck. Um, I've done it before, yeah. and I would still go again. Fantastic. And people are happy on the Gold Coast, aren't they? Well, sometimes I think it's because they're, they're under the influence of something. Well, quite <laughs> legal, Legal or illicit, for that matter. Quite possibly. Mm. Quite possibly. Anyway, um, cruising. Uh, you uh, found um, a great little cruise to do. I think this was a sunset cruise, was it, uh, in the GC? Yeah, it was. It's uh, produced by SeaWorld at SeaWorld Cruises. Once again, wonderful. Mm-hmm. A cruise that takes you all around um, the river canals, I suppose, of surface paradise and the Gold Coast. So if you want to be nosy, you can look into uh, the lounges of the, the so-called rich and famous. Um, it's a buffet-style dinner. Uh, don't expect a huge buffet. It is a small ship after all, a small boat. But once again, this is something that I would say 10 out of 10. You can't fault it. It's got everything that you expect. And what I found, with I don't know if you find this, but with the Gold Coast, they don't overplay or underplay in their marketing. They say what it's going to be, what you're going to get, and, and I had a great they time. They deliver. Yeah, yeah they deliver. Mm. And the staff actually look like they're having a good time. You know, mm. and I wish I knew who the singer was because you got the entertainment as well. There was a chap there that was singing and entertaining um, us, and he had a very lovely, soothing voice and and an amazing range of different songs. And at some point, you would actually forget that he was there because it wasn't overpowering. There's nothing worse mm-hmm. when you're on a cruise ship or a, or a small boat and the music overpowers. So you can't have a conversation with right. with your partner or yeah. what have you. Yeah, uh, but do this, folks. Sea World. Cruises. I did the dinner cruise. Apparently, they do taxi services throughout the day. Okay. I had a good. This is unusual for me to be so positive of things, isn't it? <laughs> but, well, it sounds like you had a great trip. Yeah, I did. I had a um, great trip. So, we hope those ideas help you on your next jaunt over to the GC. So, from the Gold Coast, let's go somewhere completely different. Let's dip into safaris in Kruger National Park for first-timers. Mike, it is all about the Big Five. That's what seems to attract people to safaris, Chris, the Big Five, which are lions, elephants, rhinos, leopards, and buffalo in South Africa. And on one twilight safari uh, I did in Kruger, I actually saw all of them within the space of 30 minutes. It was like a circus on parade, completely spontaneous, obviously. Mm. They're not, you know, choreographed and time-synced to walk out at a certain point, but um, it was just extraordinary. And there are also just those really chance, intimate encounters that linger with you after you've taken a trip there. For example, a very contented leopard who couldn't care a damn that we ogled him up close as he devoured the remains of an animal called a juca, which is sort of a bit like an antelope. He'd caught it for lunch. And after catching this creature, he hauled the carcass of it up to the top of a marula tree. And then he thought, oh, well, I think I might actually have a little bit more of a chomp. I want second. (laughs) So he carted it back down this tree all in front of us. We would have been probably three, three and a half meters away from him throughout this. Couldn't give a damn we were there wasn't threatened by us, but it's those sorts of, you know, sort of National Geographic unplugged encounters that absolutely make it so addictive. I don't want to get meaningful and deep and meaningful on you, but I've seen some of the photos that you posted on on your page. It looked, um, it kind of looked life-changing because you're seeing a different side of the human planet in a very 
unfiltered primal way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I do love that interaction between wildlife and and humans because a great example of this is on one drive, we crossed paths with a herd of buffalo bulls. Very aggressive, assertive, quite... um, um, bravado-based sort of uh, characters. And these buffalo bulls, they were glaring longingly at us. And I just love how they look at you as if you owe them money. You know, they've got that look on their face. (laughs) Um, White rhino obviously are a huge crowd favourite, particularly the mums and their calves. And they're just so majestic, menacing as well. But, you know, when you watch them walk along, they're like fortresses on four legs. The bird life in the Kruger is just incredible. Um, and I was fascinated by the leopard-faced vulture, which would probably uh, win uh, the contest for ugliest bird in the world. You know, so sinister looking, very sort of uh, Hitchcock. But their eyesight is unbelievable. They can read a line from a newspaper two kilometres above the ground. They're like a Russian military satellite, really, aren't they? <laughs> this is South Africa's largest game park, isn't it? And that's why yeah. it's such a big magnet because always big is better, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, it spans nearly 2 million hectares. Yeah. Um, it's like a great protector and it was founded over 120 years ago and it's that huge concentration of wildlife that makes it such a perennial attraction for tourists. But I'm sure what surprises most first-timers on safari is the intimacy, which I referred to, the the rather confronting closeness you get to the animals as they stroll past you with such supreme indifference to you being there. Um, The other really sad aspect to Kruger, Hmm. which um, can't be ignored, is the fact that as much as they are a protector for white rhino, two or three rhino are killed on average every day at the hands of poachers inside Kruger National Park. That's sad. Um, You know, it's such a massive park, very hard to truly um, safeguard. Mm. Uh, They do a lot of aerial plane spotting missions at night and you'll see those buzzing across you at night. Um, But Vietnam are the real villains here. Vietnam has now eclipsed China as the prime destination for rhino horns. So apparently, if you stroll into the homes of a lot of wealthy Vietnamese, you'll find a rhino horn uh, mounted as a trophy on the mental I struggle to understand. I just struggle to understand how people can kill such majestic animals. Mm. I really do. I know. Absolutely. I was going to ask you, actually, um, this, you know, the, the Lion King re- remake. Yeah. Do you think that has revved up interest in these types of safaris? Definitely. Really? Yeah. It's sort of like the Hobbit factor wow. in New Zealand. And, I mean, I was asking a lot of international tourists while I was there. You know, why did you come here? What mobilized you? What attracted you? Mm. There were two things, actually. One was Harry and Meghan. (laughs) God bless them. Um, Okay. And the other one was the remake of The Lion King. And the other fascinating aspect to the whole Lion King phenomena is the attention to detail by Disney is astounding. They They have nailed exactly how warthogs walk, as in Pumba. Oh, wow. You know, as if these warthogs are wearing stilettos. They do walk like that. And if you remember Zazu, um, that very clever bird who, you know, was always telling, um, who was it, Simba, what was going on in the in the savannah, he's a hornbill bird. And you'll see Zazu, or his, or his cousins, all over Kruger. And they just are absolutely a spitting image of how they are depicted in um, The Lion King by Disney. 
What is the accommodation like? Do you stay at a nice plush hotel or is it like a shed? Or what, what is that like? Generally, they are lodges, but right. they absolutely span all budgets, all tastes. So to be honest, you could actually go to Kruger and stay in a backpackers hostel within the National Park for about 30 New Zealand dollars a night. It does not have to be an, an expensive experience, but right uh, at the other end of the scale, if you want to spend five grand a night, uh, you can at, at some of the lodges. I went uh, to a place called Earth Lodge in Sabi Sabi, which is eye-poppingly expensive, about $4,000 New Zealand a night. Um, and it's amazing who you will uh, be rubbing shoulders with there. I ended up chatting to Daniel Radcliffe's stunt double from the Harry Potter franchise, wow. who had quite a few stories to tell. Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, another really cool place I went to was Nala Game Reserve, which I think is very conducive to... Kiwi budgets, it's it's affordable luxury without breaking the bank. And there were a lot of American honeymooners there. Um, and apparently amongst a lot of American millennials, that has become, you know, number one on the bucket list to do an African safari for your honeymoon. Honeymoon, that's... Which is a most interesting dynamic, yeah, I wouldn't it? have thought honeymoon culture, but there you go. Yeah. There you go. So, uh, yeah, absolutely, Kruger just appeals to all all ages, all budgets, and also very family-friendly as well. A lot of these lodges do the most incredible programs with kids. Hey, just finally, is it a, is it a hot place to visit? Do you feel hot? Uh, you will at this time of year through yeah. until the end of March. Uh, in their summer, it'll be hot and wet. Um, June, July can get uh, chilly-ish without it being polar. But yeah, probably sort of April to June and then say August through until November mm. uh, would be prime time to go because the temperature's... Uh, won't fry you, and um, yeah, the wildlife is abundant. Sounds good. What's coming up next, Mike? We will uh, be looking at uh, safaris in the Kalahari in the coming weeks, and just ahead, a stroll through Riga in Latvia, and we'll take you to Santa Fe. Can't wait. Stay tuned. Kiwi Tripsters will be right back after this break. An Abercrombie and Kent luxury safari is quite simply the greatest outdoor adventure holiday you will ever have. Choose your own adventure in South Africa, Botswana, Namibia, Zambia, Zimbabwe, Uganda, Rwanda, Tanzania, Kenya and many other countries on a continent no one knows like Abercrombie and Kent. The adventure starts here. AbercrombieKent.co.nz so we breezed through Lithuania on the last episode of Kiwi Tripsters. Is Latvia? It's right next door, isn't it, Mike? That's right. Very close to the border. Um, there is this extraordinary inflection point, um, yeah. sort of between Latvia and Lithuania, and it's called called the Hill of Crosses. And um, it's well worth a stop on the way to Riga. It's a unique place in terms of its breathtaking scale because on this hill, I've got over two hundred thousand crosses. And it's basically statement Christianity on an epic scale. It all began as, as a symbol of resistance to Russian and Soviet rule. And the Ruskies would bulldoze uh, the crosses uh, many times, but the locals just kept erecting them as a way to say, no, we believe in our own faith. We're not going to just be completely subjugated by Soviet rule. Several popes have visited the site. It's the most amazing spectacle. And nowadays... When a family member in Latvia dies, quite often uh, the loved ones will take a cross to this hill and and put it on this hill as a as a mark of respect for um, 
you know, the loved one who has passed. So it just keeps growing. It's um, organic and authentic and quite unique. It does look very unique, actually. Mm. Why is it dubbed the Baltic Berlin, if you like? Yeah, well, Riga is loaded with culture and art and lots of hipster hangouts. There's um, quite a bohemian undertone to Riga, but their calling card is ornate architecture. And I know you've been pouring through um, uh, some of the imagery. That's beautiful. Um, They've got the most head-swirling trove of 800 Art Nouveau buildings. And like Mm. much of the old city, hundreds of these buildings have been meticulously restored since communism fell. So, yeah, when you first arrive in Riga, it feels like this giant breathing museum. There are so many little discoveries too. I actually stayed at um, a hotel um, which was actually built for Soviet troops. And it's now owned by the Radisson. It's a Radisson Hotel in Riga. It was refurbished in the 90s, and when they were doing the redo, (laughs) they discovered all of these bugging devices that the Soviets had laced the hotel with. So those sorts of stories just keep Mm. spilling in Riga. They tend to like the colour orange, don't they, in the buildings? They do. A lot of it's the brickwork. Um, But, yeah, also a lot of pastel um, sort yeah. of hues as well, which sort of ties in with that Art Nouveau theme. It's, it's nice. Yeah. It's I, nice. I note too that this place is probably museum capital heaven. So you're going mm. like this, but I was looking through um, the internet and seeing that the Occupation Museum, that is supposed to be highly rated. Did you get a chance? I bet you got a chance to go inside there. Well, when I heard how highly rated it was, I had to go across and it's actually considered one of Europe's best museums because... Where it's um, just so brilliant is it just seems to sweep you through the ravages and the vagaries of European history on a very personal level. So Riga was like founded 800 years ago by the Crusaders, actually. And it's only in the past 30 years that Latvians have been in control of their own destiny. So when you go into this occupation museum, which is so brilliantly named, you just realize that, you know, for century after century after century after century. It was like this conveyor belt of foreign powers that all took turns calling the shots as the overlords of Little Riga. And then there's all the personal touches which underscore that, like the frantically scribbled notes by Regan locals who were being hurled uh, onto trains and deported to Siberia. So, so many you know, personal family stories have been safeguarded in this museum as well. Also, it's a bit of a stag party um, city in some respects, isn't it? That's what I Yeah. Yeah. If you do go there on the weekend, um, you will notice that they've got a great sprawl of bars and nightclubs in the old town. But on the weekend, it's like the town has been invaded by half of Birmingham. Oh, no. Um, (laughs) Stag party, hen party, central. And the vodka is served by the Lita in Riga. So that's how they roll. But if you need to sweat out the excesses of a late night in this party town. Saunas do a roaring trade in Riga, so you can enrobe yourself in eucalyptus steam for a few hours to revive oh, one's body, Chris. Did, yes. you, did you check out the amber shops? Yeah, the jewel of choice in um, the Baltic is certainly amber because it's sourced from the Baltic coastline as fossilised pine resin. All of it's about 50 million years old, and it's just constantly washing up on shore. And in the window displays in towns like Riga, it just twinkles in the sunshine. It's quite a seductive sort of jewel. So as you're walking past the amber shops, 
You know, it's just all these glinting yellows and oranges winking at you from the window. (laughs) I can't say I bought any, but if you are planning to, make sure you deal with a certified seller because China has flooded the Baltics with fake amber using a plastic resin, and you don't want to get that. No, you don't. That's a shame. But if you place amber under fluorescent lighting, it it sort of glows a different colour, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. If you get a pale blue uh, glow, you've got the real deal. Um, And it's because real amber holds a charge from static electricity. So, yeah, that's the easiest way to test it. Um, And um, that has become very commonplace now in Riga. What's the food like? Yeah, interesting. I wouldn't rave about it, but you do want to go to the central market, which is superb. Um, It can be a bit confronting. You will see pig snouts on sale right next to elegant tins of bargain-priced caviar. I would just go there for the caviar. I mean, you'll never buy caviar so cheap. Um, They love their pork and riga. So signature dishes include things like black peas with smoked bacon. My favourite Latvian... Uh, eat would be sauerkraut soup with pork served in a bread loaf. And it's um, quite novel. It's like this dark rye hard bread loaf. And they'll lop the top of it, mm. hollow out some of the bread. So you've got like this big ball of bread in your hand. Mm. They fill it with the soup. Then you put the top back on, which makes a really cool dunker. It's better than a ginger nut in your tea. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I'll let you have that. I haven't researched that myself. Uh, Listen, um, we've been giving you the chance to win Lonely Planet Guidebooks, the world's number one travel guidebook brand, let's be honest about it. And um, we've got two more winners to announce. It's very exciting, Mike. Oh, it is, Chris. Kay Hannah, Kay Hannah and John Andrews. Congratulations to you both, Kay and John. Well done. And uh, what we'll get those. Yeah, we'll get them out to you. Congratulations and thanks so much for supporting this program. Don't forget to subscribe and comment on any of the platforms for your chance to win or give them the draw to win some fabulous prizes. Somewhere completely different. Now, that's what I love about this podcast, by the way. We would take you all around the world to the most obscure places, just because we can. Let's now head to Santa Fe in New Mexico, and it's Playbro. 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 Architect that gets people going gaga. How do you say it? Pueblo. 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 Yeah, the architecture. Right. Yeah. I struggle with, well, I struggle with basic English (laughs) words, but anyway, it's supposed to be amazing, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it absolutely makes Santa Fe uh, one of America's most irresistible cities. And it was so visionary on the part of the locals to set about crafting the entire town centre in this unified building style, Pueblo architecture. And they did did, did this (laughs) over a century ago. So fanning out from the plaza, Santa Fe has got hundreds of, of these flat-roofed buildings made from sun-baked bricks and ochre stucco. That are, that they are like the signature hallmarks of Pueblo architecture, Chris. Pueblo. Um, and the door surrounds are usually painted blue to scare off evil spirits, so the legend goes, which I think is the most interesting thing because, as I'm sure many people have noticed in the Mediterranean, the Greeks and the Turkish will often hang a blue glass... Um, like circle above their door with a dot in it. And they call that the evil eye. And that's to ward off jealousy. And that is like so similar to what, you know, Mm. was a a long-held belief in Native American 
culture, which is just so uncanny, isn't it? Anyway, um, let me uh, not be distracted. The city is so walkable, Santa Fe. I was there in late March uh, last year, virtually, you know, 12 months ago, and this massive snowstorm struck. But all of those, um, you know, adobe homes and buildings, they were all touched up with like a fresh coat of frosted sugar. That's how it looked. Wow. So just a wonderland. I love that look. I yeah. love that look. And those wee small American towns do that amazing. Mm. Um, what are some of the city essentials? Yeah, well, it is a city of layers. So you've obviously got that Native American culture, which is thoughtfully showcased. Then you've got the Spanish influence, the Mexican colonial influence. Uh, the plaza, obviously, being the centre of town, is where you will find the the Palace of the Governors, and that was built over 400 years ago. That's now um, the, the home of the New Mexico History Museum, which I loved, and it just tells every aspect uh, to the Santa Fe story so well. Beneath the palace's portal, you've got hundreds of Native American crafts uh, people selling authentic artworks and jewellery, um, so it's really strictly quality controlled. So if you're looking for, you know, some really cool, authentic souvenirs to take home, that's the place to go. It's very arty, isn't it? But I love it. It looks yeah. very authentic without sounding condescending, the whole place. Yeah, it absolutely is such a tractor beam for arty types. And Canyon Road is home to something like 120 studios. And I think Santa Fe uh, marketing people will say it's the greatest concentration of artists in the world, Canyon Road. Uh, the landscapes in New Mexico are so dramatic. They've got a very warm light and the adobe architecture of that, you know, Pueblo style um, is just so attractive to artists. Ansel Adams is one name you know. He was mm. um, like a, a giant of landscape photography out west in the United States. Georgia O'Keeffe is also hailed for her landscape paintings of New Mexico. And her adobe-style museum in Santa Fe is a must to see. By the way, if you like contemporary art, if that's more your bag, um, I went to the historic Santa Fe rail yard, and that's now been transformed into um, like a powerhouse of contemporary art in Santa Fe. Although I have to say, being a bit of a train buff, I was distracted by all the rail heritage because, you know, Santa Fe Railway, it's, um, <laughs> it's yeah. such a famous um, um, part of, uh, of American uh, rail history. Now, the Game of Thrones creator, yep. George R. R. Martin, he lives there, doesn't he? And he's yep. um, done some good work for that city. Yes, certainly has. Um, sort of like a bit of a Peter Jackson in Wellington, you know, in terms of spin-off uh, with creative pursuits in your hometown. George R. R. Martin um, developed the House of Eternal Return. And this place is absolutely going off. What it was, was an old bowling alley, and he has transformed it into a wildly immersive art experience. And you basically climb and crawl your way through what he calls a multiverse of 70 unique rooms, all the time you're wearing 3D glasses. Wow. And there's nothing in the House of Eternal Return that is quite what it seems. Everything is interactive. You'll walk up like inside a fireplace or you'll walk into a bedroom wardrobe to find yourself in a fresh fantasy world. And it's all very much based on choose your own adventure. So oh, wow. the storytelling is determined by what you choose to experience in each room of the house. You can walk inside trees wow. and it will take you down to the basement of the building. Um, it's only been open about three years now, coming up three years. 
the queues outside are still Disney-esque or GC-esque in January. Um, massive. So you probably will have to endure a wait to get in. But I tell you what, it would have to be the trippiest place I've ever been in my life. It looks trippy. It looks magical. Kind of mm. reminds me of um, Fraggle Rock in terms yep. of some of the sets. Yep, absolutely. It's just got that magical, whimsical feel totally. about it. Yeah. I'd love to go really myself. Yeah. Um, I did actually feel quite overstimulated for about three or four days afterwards. Really? I, I was like my equilibrium had been completely knocked out. <laughs> <laughs> What's the food like? I'm, I'm guessing lots of chilli. Yeah, yeah. They are besotted by chilli, yeah. Chris. <laughs> and, you know, when you're in the plaza, for example, in downtown Santa Fe, you'll notice all of the old vintage street lamps um, are draped in strings of chilli, vivid green and flaming <laughs> red. And Santa Fe call it Christmas chilli. But they'll eat it all year round. I like their style. Uh, and you cannot eat enough of this Santa Fe hybrid Christmas chili. Um, just a little fun fact. Santa Fe spells chili differently as in the country. They spell it as C-H-I-L-E. When most of us, of course, spell it as C-H-I-L-L-I. That's confusing. Uh, my dish of the trip was filet mignon enchiladas. And they are just bursting with char-grilled beef, fresh white corn, Cheese enchiladas, chili by the truckload, and pinto beans. Boom. Now, before we end uh, this segment, you did you did sort of um, travel on just the outskirts of this amazing place, didn't you? To a very idyllic looking town. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's very much in uh, New Mexico's high desert. Taos, just north of Santa Fe. It reminds me of a movie set. It is so movie set Beautiful. quality, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's acclaimed for its ancient multi-story adobe buildings. Mm. They were sort of like, you know, some of the world's first townhouses. They've got that look about buildings. them, don't they? Yeah. There's a, there's a real charm about them. I'd encourage people to do a search on the internet because they're beautiful. They are. So it's a really historic experience. Um, another place just south of Santa Fe is called Bandelier. And if you want to go and ogle cliff dwellings, uh, and rock paintings that reach back 3,000 years, that's where to go, the Bandelier Monument. Um, and you can enter these ancient quiff dwellings by climbing a series of wooden ladders. It is um, wow. really cool fun, and there is a great sense of mystique to Bandelier. Do you know, it reminds me of uh, the Warner Brother cartoon. Um, Coyote? Road, yeah, Roadrunner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's amazing. Yeah. It looks amazing. That's on my bucket list. Well, thank you so much to everybody listening to this podcast. Thank you for tuning in to Kiwi Tripsters. Be sure to like us on our Facebook page as well. There you can see all the, the show notes. Uh, also on the website at kiwitripsters.co.nz. On the next episode, we will follow in Van Gogh's footsteps in France and we'll take you to the South Pacific paradise of Aitutaki. See you then. And that's a wrap for this episode of Kiwi Tripsters. Liked what you listened to? Then join us for our next episode of Kiwi Tripsters, where we bring you more travel inspiration, giveaways, and insider knowledge with expert guests on the show. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, and visit us on kiwitripsters.co.nz. But most importantly, subscribe and comment on Apple Podcasts, and tell us what you think of our show. Till next time, safe travels. Safe travels.